This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Christmas morning, and I hope your Christmas is already off to a great start. We got a great hour coming up for you. Joe Piscopo is going to be here. Unfortunately, Joe lost his mom recently, right before the holidays. It's never easy to lose your mom, especially not right before the holidays. But uh, he's got a great show on uh, Sinatra and a great talk show. Obviously, he's just led this incredible career as an entertainer. But the thing that I think Joe is proudest of is being a family man, and we're going to talk about what it's like to deal with the loss of a family member right around the holidays. And I know that may sound like a downer, but Joe has a really refreshing way of looking at this, and we're going to get into that probably in about 20 minutes. And uh, we've got some other fun stuff coming your way as well. I'll tell you about some of my fun family traditions that uh, I think you might find amusing. But first, just because it's Christmas Day, that doesn't mean it's not Monday, which means right around this time, it is time for... The Other Side of Midnight presents... Commendations. And there are a lot of worthy recipients of commendations this time of year. Let me begin with the man himself, the man who's made this entire season possible. No, not Jesus, but Santa Claus. Santa Claus, Kris Kringle, jolly old Saint Nick, Father Christmas, whatever you want to call him. How this man is able to bring gifts all over the world in just one night is something I'll never understand. A lot of people my age don't believe in Santa Claus. I believe in Santa Claus more fervently than ever. I absolutely believe Santa Claus is real, and the fact that he's able to get this all done in a day is the stuff of legend, quite frankly. So a sincere commendation to the one and only Santa Claus. I must also give a commendation to eight-year-old Bodana Sivanandan. This is really an incredible child. This is an eight-year-old schoolgirl who has now set new records in chess with her latest victory. She won the women's prize in the European Open Blitz Championship, and she's playing at Hastings next week in the chess world's longest-running Congress. She's eight years old and made chess history last Saturday when she won this women's prize, and she actually beat a grandmaster. She actually beat... A grandmaster, which for anybody, but especially an eight-year-old, is extraordinary. What we are seeing here is somebody that is going to be dominating the international chess scene for the next few decades. Really, quite frankly, in all likelihood, probably the rest of our lifetime. And it's an incredible thing to watch. I'm wondering if my two-year-old son, Carmine, is too young to play chess. I don't know. We'll have to talk to my brother Alex about that. Who knows? 
a thing or two about chess. And speaking of competitive athletics, I must give a commendation to Simone Biles. She has been named the Female Athlete of the Year by the Associated Press for the third year in a row. This is an incredible athlete. And the fact that uh, she, as a gymnast, has been able to dominate worldwide three straight years and be named by the AP as the most impressive female athlete of the year three years in a row. It's extraordinary. Only 26 years old, a seven-time Olympic medalist. This was a big year for her. Uh, This recorded her eighth U.S. national championship and her sixth gold medal. She is absolutely extraordinary, and it is an honor to commend her. I must commend someone that uh, I really love highlighting this time of year for their actions. A stranger who actually reunited a woman with her engagement ring after it was accidentally left in a rest stop bathroom. This is a phenomenal story. And it all began when Bailey Davis lost her engagement ring just two weeks after her proposal. She felt so bad, she was so devastated, she had to call out of work. But in a little over 24 hours... This traumatic experience turned into an opportunity to feel grateful after a complete stranger returned it to her. December 4th was like any other Monday for Davis, who works for a a car auction. She was on her way to Columbus, Ohio for work and had stopped along the way. She stopped at this rest area, got there around 1230 in the afternoon, and she was just thinking about what she was going to do that evening. And then she realized her engagement ring was not on her hand. She pulled over immediately. She said she knew exactly where she left it. She was panicked. She began to look up addresses for the rest stop to make her way back. Her grandparents lived close to the rest stop, so she called them, and they got there before her to scope out the ring. It wasn't there. So she just went back home. She wasn't able to go to work, and she went right to bed. She was feeling sick, Despite having insurance on it and knowing that everything was likely to be okay, she said that any other ring wouldn't be the one that her fiancé proposed with. She eventually came to terms with the fact that the ring had been lost. And an hour later, she got the call that it was actually found. So in an effort to track down the ring, Davis made all these posters and eventually posted about it on Facebook, which a few shares later reached Cody Warren. Warren had gone into the same rest stop as Davis. The men's bathroom was being cleaned, so Warren entered the single-family bathroom. He was washing his hands when he saw the ring on the counter. So he said he went around trying to see if he could find somebody to give the ring back to, and he couldn't find anyone that was working at the facility. So he just went ahead and walked out to his work truck and left with it. He left the ring on his dashboard and went to work, and he said he thought the ring was fake. He said it didn't even look real. It looked like it was costume jewelry at first because it was so big and extravagant. And he's saying to himself, surely somebody wouldn't leave their ring just laying right up there on the shelf. And then when he made it back home, he said he put the ring on his liquor cabinet and carried on about his day. He figured that living in a small town, he's bound to come across someone who owns it. 
And the next day, that's exactly what happened when he came across the post that Davis put on Facebook. So he called her up and said, quote, I guess tonight's your lucky night. And she was ecstatic. And uh, as you might imagine, Davis was very happy to get Warren's call. She had gotten a few fake calls throughout the day. By the way, I don't know who does that. Who would make a fake phone call about a lost engagement uh, engagement ring like this? But when Warren told her the details about the ring and where he found it, she felt optimistic. And sure enough, it was indeed a ring. And she has been reunited with it. I want to commend whoever donated this rare pair of gold Nike shoes. A homeless shelter has been able to raise $50,000. Yeah, that's right. Five zero, fifty thousand $50,000 from an auction of rare gold Nikes that was found in a donation bin. A Portland homeless shelter has raised over $50,000, actually 50800 from the sale of a rare pair of sneakers that was left behind in its donation bin. The gold Air Jordan sneakers were, it, were discovered by employees at the Portland Rescue Mission earlier this year. They are identical to ones designed for and worn by renowned film director Spike Lee in 2019. The shelter employees said they still don't know who made the donation. At first, they said they thought the shiny shoes, which were unearthed from the bottom of a bin under other donations, were fake. But sneaker authenticators, did you know that was a thing? Sneaker authenticators? Sneaker authenticators determined they were real, leaving them in disbelief. So they were sold at auction by Sotheby's, with the proceeds going towards clothes and meals for people who are served by the shelter. I love charity like this, anonymous charity. This person's not doing it to get a tax deduction. They're doing it to do some good, and I think that's just great. So whomever donated those rare gold Nikes, good for you. I am proud to give you a commendation. And this is very rare because this is somebody that I am generally critical of, but I must give a commendation to U.S. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. Now, here's the thing. I can't remember why. See, what I do throughout the week, I keep a list on my phone of people that I want to commend. And when they do something that's commendable or noteworthy, I write it down. And then I'm almost always able to remember why I wanted to commend them. If I can, I can usually look it up and it'll say, oh yeah, so-and-so saved a whole bunch of people from a burning building or gave a billion dollars to charity, whatever the case may be. I cannot find why I wanted to commend Chuck Schumer. Now, clearly, he must have done something laudatory that caused me to actually write down somebody that I'm not a big fan of as being worthy of a special distinction. I don't know if it was something related to anti-Semitism or something that he was doing in the Senate. I have no idea, but I, I do have to commend Chuck Schumer. I just can't remember why. If you have any thoughts as to why, you can email me. We may try and take some calls next hour as well. I know we haven't really taken any calls yet, but uh, maybe at the top of next hour we'll take some. 800-848-9222. I want to commend... Guy Laliberti. Guy Laliberti is a billionaire who is a pretty extraordinary person. This is the founder of Cirque du Soleil, and he is donating a $5 million piece of land to his city. Laliberti has recently surpassed a billion dollars in personal net worth, and now 
he is donating all of the money required for his hometown to protect a large piece of natural riparian woodland and wetlands that sits adjacent to it. This is a suburb of Montreal on the south bank of the St. Lawrence River, St. Bruno de Monterville, and it just received $5 million from Mr. Lelliberti, their most famous resident, for the purchase. So uh, this is great. This is great that uh, they can actually save this piece of land and this person is giving something back to the city that he hails from. Uh, absolutely happy to give a commendation to Mr. Laliberti. Now, this may not be too specific, but I must also give a commendation to apes. We have now learned that apes can actually remember friends even though they haven't seen them for 25 years. That's right. According to research from Johns Hopkins University, apes can recognize faces and friends that they haven't seen in decades. This study, documenting the longest-lasting non-human social memories ever recorded, found that apes recognize photos of groupmates they haven't seen for a quarter century, and they respond even more enthusiastically to pictures of their friends. The research team said their findings, which were published in the journal Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, underscore how human culture evolved from the common ancestors we share with these primates, which are our closest relatives. You know, occasionally I'm asked the question, if you were an animal, what kind of animal would you want to be? And usually I say something like bear. After this, I'm going with ape. Uh, We do have a lot in common with the ape. And I've always prided myself on my memory. So if I had to be another animal other than a human, I'm going to be an ape. Penultimately, I want to commend the city of Atlanta. Atlanta has been named the best city to celebrate Christmas in for the year 2023. This is according to a new study from WalletHub. The study cited the ample shopping and winter activities alongside the relatively mild weather. See, I like the cold weather at Christmas. Not, uh, you know, Minnesota cold, but a couple of snowflakes is kind of nice. Additionally, WalletHub experts said the large number of bakeries and ample number of places to buy Christmas lights earned Atlanta the top spot. The study compared the 100 biggest cities in the country, looking at a number of factors including traditions, shopping, and costs, Big cities also in the top five included Pittsburgh, Orlando, Las Vegas, and San Francisco. I told you last week how Orlando was number one for New Year's Eve, and this week we're seeing it did well when it comes to Christmas as well. But number one when it comes to Christmas, at least according to WalletHub, is Atlanta, Atlanta, Georgia. I have to commend the scientists that have discovered a lost ancient city This is a city that sounds a lot like the lost colony of Atlantis. Scientists stumbled upon a massive forgotten colony off the coast of Australia that was once home to hundreds of thousands of people. There are various artifacts and signs of human life that were discovered on the northwest shelf of Sahul, which is located off the coast of the northern region of Kimberley on a landmass that connects to 
New Guinea. This is according to Quaternary Science Reviews. The drowned piece of land was likely a thriving ecosystem during the late Pleistocene period, which dates back as far as two and a half million years. The now submerged landmass was nearly 250,000 square miles. Now, just to give you some perspective, that is more than 1.6 times the size of the United Kingdom. The shelf, once thought to be a desert, was filled with habitable fresh and saltwater lakes, rivers and streams, as well as a large inland sea that could have supported between 50,000 and 500,000 people. It may have also served as a bridge for people to walk onto Australia before it became the massive island it's known as today. About half of the shelf drowned between 12,000 and 9,000 years ago during the first of two periods of rapid global sea level rise. And those who funneled into an archipelago on the shelf would go on to become the first maritime explorers from Wallacea, creating a familiar environment for their maritime economies to adapt to the vast terrestrial continent of Sokul. Scientists are still working to uncover the history behind the lost colony, and they plan to continue to study this in the future. But this is an incredible discovery. A lost colony that we never knew existed that's even bigger than the UK? I mean, wow. Wow, wow, wow. All right. I'm going to talk to Joe Piscopo in just a minute. And uh, coming up probably at the top of the next hour, we'll try and take some of your calls. 800-848-9222 if you want to start queuing up. Meantime, Merry Christmas on this, the special Christmas edition of The Other Side of Midnight. Joe Piscopo, straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. That, of course, is the great Frank Sinatra, and believe it or not, it's looking like the chairman of the board may have something of a future in this business. Frank Sinatra has made a return to the Billboard Hot 100 for the first time in 56 years. That's right. This week, we saw Frank Sinatra return to the Billboard Top 100, in fact, in the Top 20 with this rendition of Jingle Bells. Now, Frank Sinatra's been around forever. His music is timeless. Everybody knows that. Why, oh why, would he be back in fashion all of the sudden? Well, the experts are pointing to the Ramsey Mazda Sunday with Sinatra program that is sweeping 
the nation. Its host uh, happens to be not only one of the great Sinatra experts of all time, not only someone who belts out Sinatra tunes better than anybody, he happens to be a comedian, an actor, an award-winning radio talk show host, a political activist, and somebody who is a multiple award-winning father of the year, and especially on Christmas time, somebody that's uh, had to deal with some profound loss recently, which is a real inspiration to all of us. Very pleased to welcome back someone I had the privilege of working with and learning from for six years, and I'm proud to call a colleague on the radio, legendary entertainer, comedian, actor, talk show host, Joe Piscopo. Joe, my friend, Merry Christmas. Thanks for taking the time to do this. Good night, ladies and gentlemen. That's great. What an introduction. That's it. Can't can't top that now, Frank. Hey, Merry Christmas, Frank. I was just talking uh, last night on the, on the Sundays with Sinatra show, the Ramsey Mazda show, and we're talking about that. Frank Sinatra, number 20 with Jingle Bells. He recorded that in 1948 with the Ken Lane Singers. I, I was just talking about it on the on the WABC. Is that the wildest thing, Frank? I think 25 years after his death, he's hot as a pistol, Mr. Sinatra is. And you're absolutely right. It's only because of the Ramsey Mazda Sundays with Sinatra show. <laughs> Thank you for noticing that, Frank. Well, no, but in all seriousness, Joe, there's, there's been a lot of great singers over the years. People like uh, Russ Colombo, people like uh, even Vic Damone to some extent, who are great talents, great in their times, but they don't seem to have the staying power of Frank yeah. Sinatra. I listen to the radio all the time. I never hear someone play a Russ Colombo yeah. record. What is it about Sinatra's uh, music that makes it so durable? His caress of the lyrics, his understanding of the story of the song. It's a three-minute movie. It's a three-minute documentary. It's a three-minute, uh, uh, whether it's a, a painful love song, whether it's a celebratory song like Jingle Bells, he got into the moment and to those three minutes in the song better than anybody. I'm convinced of it. And, you know, and I've always uh, appreciated the opportunity to be able to do the Sundays with Sinatra show because I've gotten, I go into the rabbit hole. I, I find out who the arranger is, who wrote the song, where was Mr. S? What was his vocal register at that point in his career? It doesn't matter whether it was, you know, 1995 or whether it was 1939. He caressed every lyric like he owned it, Frank, and understood it. And it was, this was, in my opinion, a gift from God. It was like God said, I'm going to give you a singer that no one's going to ever going to be able to be compared to. And Luciano Pavarotti was brilliant. You're right. Russ Colombo, all these guys were great. Uh, Elvis, you know, more personality probably than talent on stage, who we loved, Elvis Presley. But there was only one Frank Sinatra, only because he understood the composer. He understood. Why would he go out, Frank, and go to arrangers like Gordon Jenkins, go to arrangers like Nelson Riddle? And, well, I need Billy May. I really got to punch this up. Go to a young Quincy Jones in, in Europe and, and find Quincy Jones, who was a trumpet player at the time, and say to Quincy, I want you to arrange and put a band together, how would he know that? He just had an instinct for it because he took that song, like I said, it was three minutes, but he treated it like he was doing a 90-minute movie, you know? And I think that really is a testament to his success. 
Yeah, I mean, what an astute analysis. And if people don't make a habit of listening to Sundays with Sinatra, this is exactly what you'll hear on a weekly basis. You know, Joe, when you, I know you studied radio in college and you've been a lifelong radio fan as I have, but most people got to know you from your work on Saturday Night Live, from your work in the movies, and from your work as a live performer. A lot of people would then ask you, because I was working with you back then, how, what's yeah. it like to make that transition to the world of radio, not knowing you'd already done the world of radio, uh, even before yeah. you were doing SNL and commercials. What you do on a regular basis in the mornings, news talk uh, with a little bit of entertainment, it's very different than the kind of show you're doing Sunday nights that's mostly music-focused, that's mostly lifestyle-focused. Tell me how that transition has been for you. You do have to kind of get yourself in a different mindset, don't you? Yeah, you do. And I learned so much from you, Frankie Five Burrows. I really do because when when they they put me together, and a shout-out to Jerry Crowley uh, down at Salem Media in New York, uh, and he said, all right, I want you in with Frank Morano. The first time when he heard me on the air, I was with you. And we just went back and forth, and it was great, and I felt it, and, and the immediacy of it. But it, the what you don't get on radio is the, the feedback, and I'm more of a live entertainer mm-hmm. than anything else. So you're on stage, the laughs are there. You're on stage, the, you, you, you feel the audience right there. And that that is the one thing, and when you and I have chatted about this before, sometimes we've had really genius comedians come on this show you know oh yeah and they're not funny man and you and i go we go after they go up there remember that that we go why didn't that guy do his material because they didn't understand radio you have to understand you can you have to understand when you're doing radio and this is the glory of radio and why i so i love it so you are and you know this frank you you're the best student i've seen of this medium you are in just to say you're in the car you're in the home that's putting it lightly you are in the lives of the folks kind enough to listen to us that you're right in their lives you are a family member they are your family member and even when i do uh like for example last night i did the frank sinatra show it was christmas eve and you know that's a precious time uh, you know certainly for uh you know a very dedicated catholic like i am but but it, I wanted to I wanted to bring the audience in because, like you said, I lost my mom. And thank you for acknowledging that rest of her soul. So I lost mom. Now, I, not only do I want to celebrate with my family. So I gave the edict to my family politely. They said, well, we, I was going to go down to my sister's. Where do you go? Because we're not going to mom's because mom's not there. Mm. I wanted to celebrate with the radio family with my real family. That's how valuable it is. And that's one thing you don't get from film, from television, from stage, the intimate, the intimacy of your connection with, I never had that before. So that's like last night I said, I'm doing the show from home and I'm going to broadcast from home and I'm going to do it with my family. Yes, we're going to the seven fishes, but I want to bring in the beautiful family that we formed on the radio. You can't do that in any other medium. It's, it's a, it's extraordinary. And it, that's why I think we, I think at AM 970 downtown, WABC 770, starting with Jerry Crowley over to John and Margo, they brought, back a medium that that people thought was dead we're reinventing it and i think it's just because of that personal connection with the audience that we have 
you know, I'm not going to spend too much time on this because I know you've been through the emotional ringer, not just for the last week or two, but really for the last year as you've been yeah. uh, dealing with your with your mom. And I was very lucky yeah. to get to meet her a few times and really an inspiring person who was as sharp at 98 as I imagine yeah. most people are at 48. <laughs> but yeah. I got I got a message uh, from a listener uh, named Elaine who writes that um, she th- th- Christmas is hard for me this year because I lost my only sister in June. I'm still heartbroken. There's a lot of people yeah, yeah. listening to us right now, Joe, who are yeah, dealing yeah. with with loss, an immediate family yeah. member, a close friend, a spouse, that this is their first Christmas that they're experiencing without them. How do you yeah. deal with this? How do you manage to stay strong and stay positive for your kids while not getting bogged down in your own grief? Yeah, great question, Frank. It's it's a celebration of the life that you lost. You have to celebrate it, embrace it, and and learn every single nuance that that person that you lost taught you, that you learned from, that you felt every feeling, every emotion. Embrace it, celebrate it. Because I tell you, it was this. Uh, of course, I always say I could talk to you more frankly than I would you know, talk to somebody else because we've known each other sure. so long, but mom, mom's on her, for lack of a better phrase, her deathbed there. And I went and saw her, it was last Monday and um, she passed away on Wednesday. And I, and I, you know, I wanted to make sure I saw her Friday. And then the dramatic decline from Friday to Monday was, was that yeah. was devastating to me, but she's, she's what she wanted to Stay with uh, alive. She that she didn't want to die. She would say, "I don't want to." And man, she was grasping on. Man, it was so. And I looked at her, Frank, right there. I said to myself, and, "And you know how hard we work. You and I are both like obsessed, and we like working, and we enjoy it. And it's it's a it's it's a privilege to us." So I said to myself, and I found myself saying to myself out loud as my mother was, you know, just just try, taking her last breaths on earth. And I said, I am going to work harder than I've ever worked in my life. I'm going to embrace everything in life so much greater now because of all this woman has given me all this, every fiber of of my woman, uh, of this woman that is my mother. Man, I tell you, I, it made me, inspired me to even, I was inspired and fired up. Isn't that the wildest thing? That's I great. mean, it, it just, it, I walked out of there going, man, I am not letting up now. So now it's Christmas time. And I got, and then we were at the funeral, uh, you know, and thank you for going to the wake, Frank. I mean, that was so great oh, to no, see I you there, man. Wouldn't mess it, of course. No, no, it was, it was great. I appreciate you guys going there. But then I saw my, my kids up at the altar with a shout out to Father Anthony Rondazzo from Westfield. He went to North Caldwell. He did the mass. And he was great. He was Oh, he was so wonderful. All my children are there, and I'm watching them. And like Father Anthony said, it was nice to see everybody. We all took communion. That's my mother's legacy. That's she started wonderful. it, and it came through me to her. So celebrate it. Live it. And that's what it's sad as sad could be. And, and you know what's sad is when you don't get the phone call, when you say, oh, I'll make a phone call, and you can't. And you, oops, no one, they're not around anymore. Wait till mom hears this, I keep saying. Even on the radio, Frank, she listened to she loved Sundays with Sinatra. Loved it every day. It was I go six to eight. I go it's it's eight. You know eight o'clock and thirty seconds past. Mom, I see mom pop up on the phone. Joseph, oh what a great show! I love that. What was that one song you played? You know like that. You know that you miss, but you got to embrace it and and uh, 
just celebrate it. And that that's that's the the road we're going down, you, right? You know, and following the, you, the path that they blazed. You knowing know? you and what a doting father you are, I'm sure you're still getting some presents ready to put under the tree in just the next <laughs> few minutes. So I'm going to let you go in a few minutes. But you got to tell right. me, growing up, uh, and I'm sorry I never got to meet your dad, but listening to your stories about him, I feel like I knew him, and I feel like I yeah. got to know him. What were the Piscopo Christmas traditions? You, your sister Carol, your brother Richie. What were the, What did you guys do as children growing up? Well, pull, well, first, Richie and I would pull down the tree. That was a, that was an annual tradition. So we, you thought you would think the cat would do it? No, it was me and Richie. We we would, I don't know how my parents put up with us. Frank, Bloomfield, New Jersey, twenty Woodier Terrace in the little section of Brookdale, right by the park. Beautiful. And I, I, I just, so I think of those days and it was, and we had uh, a, a bike under the tree. It was everything that you saw from Norman Rockwell that my parents, whose their parents came from Italy. So they would come to America and they wanted to be Americans. They wanted to learn the language and the laws. And my father went on to become an attorney, as you know. So he was there and they would get, we want not a lot of gifts, but I remember a main gift. He would get a main gift. So I would get the Schwinn bike, you know, Carol would get the doll that she wanted. It was okay to give your daughter dolls back in the day, you know? <laughs> so, so, you know, so, so that was it. But then Richie and I would host, we grabbed the branch. Hey, how far can we, and, and you would hear the crash. And, and my father would come back there. They go again. And my father ended up taking like a fishing line, tying it around the tree and then nailing it to the wall. So Richie and I couldn't pull down the tree. So it was it was just craziness like that. But I'll tell you, the the joy this this if I can just one Christmas story before before we continue with the beautiful day and, and the birth of Jesus, of course, is when I, I remember I went to bed early it's Christmas Eve and then. I, I woke up and I went, wow, like in Polar Express, I woke up and I waited to see, I'm going to run downstairs and see Santa Claus. I ran down the stairs. The first thing I do, I looked under the tree, nothing was there. And I looked to my father and he was seated in his usual chair, reading the Newark Evening News with the fireplace going, nothing. It was good. So now I'm, oh, Santa didn't come here. Now I think of it now, right? When did they put this? How did they hustle so quickly and get the whole Christmas thing going? I haven't, I haven't mastered that craft. But I, I was so that I said that, that'll tell you great parents right there. So, uh, and thank you for allowing me to do that because uh, you know we we are both blessed with some beautiful Absolutely. parents. Absolutely, keeping these traditions alive. Joe, I know the kind of. Um care that you take for physical fitness. You still work out harder than just about anybody I know. I know how careful you are with, with food. You know, you won't put a morsel that's unauthorized into your into your body. Do you cheat a little bit at Christmas time? I know you said you did this Feast of the Seven Fishes last night. What do you do on Christmas Day? Are you just uh, doing that thing where you watch uh, ice cream sundae melt or will you actually eat something? No, I actually eat something, and it. This is it, and and, and I uh, talked about it earlier. This is the uh, the my mother made a lasagna, and before she died, and she froze it. Frank, she froze. Oh, she had frozen the lasagna. So my nephew Brett, who is a world class chef, as you know, I mean, he's an attorney, but he's a world class chef. He uh, we we he 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 has gotten that that lasagna. That, and we are going to have mom's lasagna, and I will I will be eat every single bite of mom's lasagna that's, one last that's time. That's outstanding. You know? 
That's outstanding. Hey, Joe, we're going to play um, in a second a, a yes. sketch that you did, a Christmas sketch that you did from Saturday Night Live oh, of you oh. singing Supply Side Christmas. Now, I know your your politics are probably a little bit different now than they were back in 1982, yeah. 83. But um, yes. tell me about this sketch, if you remember it. I know you probably get driven crazy with people uh, asking you to explain stuff in detail like it was yesterday that you did 40 years ago. Do you remember this sketch at all? No, was that was it as Frank Sinatra? Did no, it I don't Frank think Sinatra? so. I think it was. Wow, uh, it, it wow. was you was like a a Christmas caroler and kind of poking fun yeah. at Reaganomics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this, this is if you got to say you have time, Frank. Sure, right? I'm I can all just yours, talk sure. a little because because this is it. I was a diehard Democrat back then, and when people get so mad at the Democrats now, and I'll, I'll rant as well. Uh, at the it, and the Democrats aren't Democrats. It's the people who are really way, way, way left. But they, how, why do they vote? Why do they vote that guy in? Well, they voted. They, you get what you vote for. I was one of those people. I was, I was like a diehard Democrat. Couldn't even say the word Republican. I would say I, I, I couldn't understand it. So it was my job to satirize. Ronald Reagan. That they gave me that map. They said, "Okay, you're the guy. You're going to do the Reagan impression." Yeah, uh, and, and you're good. so now I'm going like, I'm going like, well, all right. So I, this, so I thought about this, Frank, the other day. Is I did a video, and I think I told this before when you were we were on the air together, as where I did a video where Dick Eversall, producer, said to me. All right. Uh, I said, I want to do like a uh, Outer Limits. Remember the Outer Limits, Frank? The oh, show yeah. The Outer Limits, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. So that uh, the, the, we've taken control of your television <laughs> set and, and, and all that, 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 that great, uh, great early 60s uh, television show. And I put it around Reagan's presidency. And I had pictures of Reagan in it, and it made it look like it was way out of control. It was really well done. They gave me a $25,000 budget back then because you had to budget those films. And and I got it, and Dick Ebersol allowed me to go into the edit bay and actually do this. And we shot it, and it was like – and it gets coming close up to Reagan doing the Outer Limits theme. And as a Democrat – and who would never think of it. I thought, wow, that's powerful. That's great. I showed it to Mr. Ebersole, and Dick killed it. He killed it. He said, Joe, it's too political, and it's not objective enough. How about that? And he said, he goes, we can't put this on the air. After spending the $25,000 in edit time. And I know. And now, what was I thinking? Because you know the story, and I think it came from Frank Sinatra. I got invited to the Reagan White House. And after when I was satirizing him, now we were never mean. This this piece that I did was a, a, more. It was really a potent piece. So after that, Reagan invites me to and I got to meet Reagan, and I shook his hand, and I was electrified by the person who was Ronald Reagan. He was a. This was a very decent, caring, everything you you know about the great Ronald Reagan, that's what he was. And I had the honor to meet him and darn if it didn't change my political wow, outlook. Uh, that, yeah, man, I just isn't that wild? So that, what you see in the supply side thing, that was what I thought I had to do. And that's what's happening on television now. They think they have to do it because that's, they don't look, I've had the privilege I think from being on radio of stepping out and taking a broader view, not to mention Mr. S, I think, setting up that meeting with Ronald Reagan and changing my viewpoint. So, I, I yes, I was a little uh, politically uh, uh, off, off base but way back in well, the as day. As long right? as it's funny, which uh, all your stuff certainly always was. <laughs> hey, uh, Joe, it's always a treat to talk with you. I miss you. I miss working with you. I'm thrilled that you're nah, doing so well. Uh, and uh, I look forward to seeing you again soon. Merry Christmas, my friend. 
Merry Christmas, Frank. Congratulations. You're going national. People listen to, you know, uh, the other side of midnight, and you're just doing great. We're so proud of you, Frank. God bless you. Love to you and the family. Merry Christmas, my friend. Thank you. And as we go to break, here is Bill Murray approaching a well-to-do couple played by Joe Piscopo and Christine Ebersole for some spare change. They explain to the tune of it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas that if they spend elsewhere, it will trickle down to him. You may even hear the Salvation Army Santa Eddie Murphy join in the song. Here's Supply Side Christmas. Uh, excuse me, uh, folks. Uh, I couldn't help noticing uh, the moolah you just dropped in uh, old uh, Santa's pot. Uh, I represent an, an independent charity, small organization, uh, tiny staff. Uh, I was wondering if, if perhaps... we could give you a handout, yeah. right? <laughs> well, of course we could, but don't you think that would be defeating President Reagan's attempts at rebuilding this economy of ours? Well, uh, <laughs> gee, I didn't really, uh, you know... Yeah, well, look, I know. could just... I'll tell you what, pal. I could just probably give you this dollar. Now, I could give you the dollar, or I could go out and spend it and do my part to bolster American business, create a demand for the supply, stimulate manufacturing, all of which trickles down into new jobs and a better way of life for folks like you. Yeah, well, what do you say we skip the middleman, go direct to John Q. Public, huh? <laughs> I'm sorry, but I will shake your hand and wish you a Merry Christmas, huh? Oh, gee, can you spare it? <laughs> Thanks a lot. Oh, pardon the glove. Oh, just give it time. You should be feeling that Christmas spirit sometime around March or April. It takes a while to trickle down. Well, uh, maybe you just want to hold on to your cash. I can understand it. I take all the men as your credit cards. No, 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 no. That's not it. Let me see if I can explain it to you in another way. <laughs> it's beginning to be supply-side Christmas everywhere you turn. President pulled a switch, played Santa Claus to the rich. We're snug and warm because we've got cash to burn. It's a charity starts at home style Christmas, just like way back when. Lots of beggars on every street who are dreaming of things to eat. Welcome, Welcome back, back again. We're a window display in a store down the way, and you're outside. While you're getting thinner, we're eating our dinner. There's so much, it's a sin. Imagine how that gravy tastes that's trickling down our chin. It's a squeezement to they bleed this Christmas. Stockings hung with pride. There's a special kind of cheer when two favorite times of year, Christmas and recession, coincide. I'm beginning to get the drift. This Christmas, good old Uncle Sam is telling us that it's great that we get to lick the plate. It's just a gift wrap scam. So let me get this straight. Uh, you go out and stuff yourselves, drink yourselves full of Christmas cheer, and then if I'm patient long enough and just wait here in the gutter, eventually I'll get trickled out. That's it! Now you've got the spirit. Yeah, I'm sure it'll make me feel warm all over. <laughs> well, even Santa is cutting back this Christmas. Lots of job to sell. But we're deaf to all their yelps, cause we know that heaven helps. Those that help. 
other side of midnight. That is the greatest version of Feliz Navidad that there is. That, of course, is from his album Shatner Claus. By the way, I have to thank the caller that called in on Friday when we were doing our segment on the most underrated Christmas films of all time. And he brought a film to my attention called Christmas Horror Story. This film is phenomenal. I got up early on Sunday morning and watched it. It's great. And as the caller mentioned, not only is it three or four great horror stories all surrounding Christmas, but Shatner plays a late night radio DJ named Dangerous Dan, and he's phenomenal. I don't know how I've never seen this before, but I never have, and it was great. I mean, maybe some of you prefer something a little bit more tame on Christmas Eve. I can certainly understand that. Hey, speaking of Christmas Eve, uh, when my wife and I were driving to church on Sunday, we saw a line, uh, not only around the corner, but two full blocks long, trying to get into the fish store on Sunday morning with people that are uh, going to purchase fish for their seafood extravaganza on Christmas Eve. And I was happy for the fish store because this is the fish store that we patronize and they're great guys there and uh, hopefully they do a lot of business on christmas eve well if you're not a fish fan i guess christmas day is the day that uh, you get your opportunity to have your chosen meal but uh, i'll never forget one of the things that i'll remember most about christmas day is something that in some ways I should remember the least because I was incredibly young at the time. Uh, I've told the story before, but I was, I think, about four years old, and it's Christmas Day, and this is before there was the Internet or anything along those lines where you could just look up recipes. And my father, who's a very proficient cook, is looking through Julia Child's cookbook. You know, Julia Child, the one and only. Welcome to the French chef. I'm Julia Child. And he can't find a recipe for a Christmas ham or a a baked ham or a honey glazed ham, whatever kind of ham he was trying to make. She didn't have one in that particular cookbook. So he looks in the dedication page of Julia Child's cookbook and sees that it's dedicated to her husband, who I believe was named Paul. I think he knew that she lived in Massachusetts, so what he did was he called information for Massachusetts, whatever area of Massachusetts, or it might have even just been Massachusetts, and asked for Paul Child. And sure enough, they connected him. So a man answers the phone, and my father says, Hi, this is Carmine. Is Julia there? And then the next thing you know, that very distinctive voice that you've seen on television a hundred times comes to the phone. It works out absolutely perfectly. What you want in a pan is a handle so that you can grab the pan by its handle. And you want sides that should be about two inches high. And that other pan, I don't think the sides are quite high enough. And says, hello. 
or something like that. And my father explains the situation, says, Julia, I'm looking through your cookbook and uh, I don't see any recipe for uh, honey glazed ham. Is there anything you can do to help me out? Now, keep in mind, this is Christmas Day. She tells him to hang on. And the next thing you hear are these giant feet in these giant shoes running across the kitchen floor. A minute later, she, she comes back and gives him very detailed instructions, which he recorded in the cookbook, and it's still in the cookbook to this day. And he writes it in pencil in the cookbook. She spent a lot of time with him, probably about 15 minutes, explaining exactly what to do in some detail, and says, keep in mind, these are all going to be in my new book. And she basically puts in a plug for her forthcoming cookbook. But she was just incredibly nice. And uh, that's the sort of thing that uh, you just don't imagine being possible on Christmas Day. But I guess in another era, it certainly was. What's missing in this picture? The goose. Hey, coming up after the top of the hour, we've got some fun stuff, uh, some interesting stories, including some aspects of the Santa Claus legend that you may not have heard and the one and only cousin brucey will be here and we'll make an effort to try and take some of your calls 800-848-9222 until next hour your influence counts use it